Hi everyone! Welcome to the 11th episode of Ukraine War Uncovered, podcast about the war in Ukraine. Today is 117th day of the Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine. My name is Pablo and my colleague is Anna. We are Ukrainians and co-hosts of this podcast. In this podcast, we will uncover facts and stories about the war in Ukraine, some of which you may not hear from mainstream media. We will provide you with key weekly updates about the war based on information from the ground, connect with eyewitnesses and experts directly from Ukraine, and share stories of wartime life inside Ukraine and stories of temporary displaced people. We will also uncover Ukraine, its culture, language and history for you. In this episode we will cover Ukrainian volunteers as a social phenomenon in Ukraine. We will drone on the key stats and organizations to give you brief but comprehensive overview on how important volunteers are. So, let's move to the topic of this week. We will start with providing key statistics about how Ukrainians themselves treat volunteering, and then we will move on to unusual examples of fundraising campaigns covering purchase of a satellite, Spartan armored vehicle, and meals provided by the World Central Kitchen. We will then introduce our guests who will tell us more about the volunteering experience in Ukraine. Let's get started. To provide you with a brief context, in, it worth mentioning that volunteering in Ukraine did not begin on 24 February 2022. Ukrainian civil society and civic activists have been active for a long period of time. For instance, the Ukrainian Helsinki Group was founded on November 9, 1996 as the Ukrainian public group to promote the implementation of the Helsinki Accords on Human Rights. The group's goal was to monitor the Soviet government's compliance with the Helsinki Accords, which ensure human rights. The group was active until 1981, when all members were jailed by the Soviets. However, this did not prevent the creation of Ukrainian Helsinki Union on the group's basis at the 50,000-strong rally in Lviv on July 7, 1988. And this is only one of many such examples in Ukrainian history. After Ukraine declared its independence in 1991, Ukrainian civil society remained active, but it should be noted that the large spike in volunteers and NGO emerged after Russian invasion of Donbas in 2014. Now volunteers are involved in all parts of social and military life of Ukraine, ranging from military procurement and rehabilitation of soldiers to animal rescues, mental health support, legal aid and rebuilding of Ukraine. Center for Sociological Studies Razumkov Center in February 2023 measured that volunteering organizations are the second trusted class of people after the Ukrainian army. According to the World Giving Index, a benchmark that measures how much population is involved in charitable and volunteering activities, Ukraine was 10th in the world in 2022, moving from 90th place in 2017 and 150th place in 2010. So, couple of thoughts. According to the survey results of the Ilko Kurchevri Foundation Democratic Initiative February 2023, the majority of surveyed Ukrainians, 61%, participated in volunteering activities to the Defense Forces of Ukraine or their fellow citizens. About 10% helped with physical work, 31% financially, almost 20% with both money and work. About 15% of Ukrainians reported that they did not help the army or displaced, but were going to do so. 
At the same time, almost 18% responded did not participate in such assistance and do not plan to do. As per Forbes Ukraine analysis as of November 2022, the world react acutely only to major changes. We can see it by numbers, says Yaroslava Grace, curator of the United24 platform. As mentioned in one of the, our previous episodes, United24 was launched by the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, as the main venue for collecting charitable donations in support of Ukraine. Artists, sports stars and other public figures joined United24 as ambassadors. Yaroslava Grace gave a couple of examples how many different events influenced donations on the platforms. On August 29, a counteroffensive was announced. Donation to United24 increased by 2.5 times. The release of Azov soldiers increased the donations three times. The large rocket attack on October 10th last year seven times. Russian attacks increased donation not only to United24. During the days of the mashing shelling of civilian infrastructure, benefactors generally supported the armed forces more actively. In October alone, donations to United24, Comeback Alive and the Pritula Fund, two other large charitable foundations, amounting to 1.5 billion US, according to the data analysis service Open Databot. For a comparison, according to the Forbes in June, the 20 largest funds collected uh, 3.1 billion Ukrainian hymnas. Hope and rage motivate Ukrainians to donate more, and the foundation know how to use it. Price draws, auctions of art and memorabilia, gathering that trigger emotions. Ukrainian volunteers have an arsenal of creative techniques. The result? The 10 largest funds and initiative rates 63 billion grivnas, equivalent of approximately $1.7 billion for the army and humanitarian needs in the first nine months of full-scale war. In June 2023, there was an increase in donations. Despite the fact that since the beginning of 2023, Ukrainian began to donate less for defense needs, a record was set in June when almost half of all donations since the beginning of the year were collected in this month. This was reported by the open data platform Oper Databot, which analyzes the receipt of three largest charitable foundations of Ukraine, United24, Come Back Alive, Serhi Pritula Foundation. In total, in the first six months 2023, 8.35 billion hryvnas were deposited in the accounts of three largest charitable foundations of Ukraine. For comparison, this is 22% less than during the second half of 2022. Now let's move to several unexpected examples of volunteering and fundraising campaigns. Satellite purchase on August 18, 2022 Serhi Pritula, a Ukrainian comedian, politician and volunteer, announced that his charity bought a satellite for the Ukrainian armed forces. The charity used the $20 million Ukrainians had fundraised for purchasing four Bayraktar drones in June. Back then, the Turkish manufacturer refused to take the money, offering three drones for free instead. According to Pritula's charity, they signed a deal with Finnish microsatellite manufacturer ICEYE. The company will provide Ukraine with access to its constellation of SAR satellites, allowing the Ukrainian armed forces to receive radar satellite imagery on critical locations with a high revisit frequency, the charity said. 
From now on, our Army will receive high-quality satellite images as quickly as possible, which will help us with planning the military operations promptly, Ritula said. Purchase of the Spartan armored vehicles, the transfer of the largest of such APCs to Ukraine is not due to British munificence nor procurement by the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense. It is instead just least example of the extraordinary scale and indeed speed of the crowdfunding campaigns that have been powering the Ukrainian military since the early days of the war. The fundraising appeal for the armored vehicles uh, tagline Grab Them All had only been launched on 2nd November 2022 by Sergei Pritula Foundation. It has been hoped that $5.5 million required for the major purchase would be secured within a week. Within nine hours, half of the funds have been pledged by donors ranging from private individuals to big Ukrainian corporations and smaller high street firms. By lunchtime on 9th November 2022, there was no need to continue pumping out the calls for cash, and the social media memes that had made for of the conceit of the coming battle between Spartans and Persians, a nod to the Iranian kamikaze drones that have been plugging Ukrainian cities in recent months. The money was secured, and the logistics of getting the tackled vehicles on the mighty plains of Donbass in eastern Ukraine was being put in motion. World Central Kitchen. Just to provide you a little context, World Central Kitchen is the first to the third lines, providing fresh meals in response to humanitarian, climate, and community crises. Founder Jose described it as follows. World Central Kitchen started with a simple idea at home with my wife Patricia. When people are hungry, send in cooks, not tomorrow, today. Served more than 210 million meals for the year of the full-scale invasion in various areas of Ukraine, starting from Lviv area taking care of internally displaced people and going east and south to feed those under shelling. 175 million pounds of food was distributed in meal kits. Now we would like to introduce you with several brave and dedicated volunteers who support Ukrainians from abroad with humanitarian relief efforts and from inside the country, including close to the front lines. They will share their insights on volunteering experience in Ukraine. Volodymyr, could you please tell us about United for Change's humanitarian aid delivery project? What's idea? How much aid to Ukraine was delivered within this project? And who are the partners? Hello, dear, dear listeners. Uh, so the goal of this project was to establish a direct humanitarian aid from Ireland to Ukraine by building B2B partnerships with the business sector. As of now, we treat this as Ireland Plus because we are aiming to expand our network you know, abroad, also to, to tackle the deliveries from the European Union and the US. How we do it? So basically, we partner directly with the businesses to deliver the, the, the goods basically from their warehouses to the recipients. Or we also partner with other NGOs who are working to tackle the same issue. They're working with the same cause, basically. And we help them with the optimization of their logistics. So until now, we delivered 16 uh, trucks of, of stuff 
uh, with approximately more than 2 million euros of goods. So currently the main logistics partner is XPO Logistics. That's a fairly well-known company, but also their Google internal team actually helping us to facilitate this partnership as well. The whole idea of this project is to make the delivery as efficient as possible because this industry is highly inefficient. So if we're working with the businesses directly, so we're basically just trying to get their commitment to, to give us their goods and we pick them up at their warehouse so we don't have to have the, the warehouse like overhead on our own. And then we deliver directly to the recipient on the Polish border or the, the Romanian border. If we're trying to help out with NGOs, usually we would have the same requirements. Either we're using the warehouse of the, their donor or maybe their own warehouse to make sure we don't actually have the, another intermediate warehouse. So we also deliver directly to the recipient. So the main idea is to make this process as smooth and as efficient as possible, which in the end of the day translates into the better quality of the project and the, the impact that we deliver. Our next guest is Ruslan. Ruslan, could you please tell us about your volunteering in Ireland, how Palianica project worked, and also explain about Auri humanitarian aid work, what type of aid was delivered and where it comes from? Uh, hi everyone. I guess the volunteering work from probably day number two, day number three, I I step into this volunteers world, and uh, because we didn't have a choice, somebody had to do it. So we kind of uh, we were trying to help straight away, um, as I mentioned from day number two. So by using my own kind of a business shops around the Dublin, we became a, a little collection points for the aid for the Ukrainians. Uh, and we were sending everything to Ukraine. And um, one day we just uh, came up with way too much donations that people were so generous. And uh, that's that came, that's how the idea of Palanitsa, the, the hope, the Ukrainian hope came up into my head. So we decided to open Palanitsa and we decided to open the place where the newly arrival Ukrainians can come in and collect anything they like for free. So a lot of people were arriving to Ireland with just the documents or just passports and nothing else with them. So they didn't even have a basics. So by the time they, uh, by the time they were getting a social welfare payments, there was about, you know, one and a half, two, three weeks. Um, they didn't really, some of them didn't really have any money uh, as well. So the Palenitsa was the destination. Uh, so I opened one in Clarendon Street, Street in Dublin too, just off the Grafton Street. Uh, thanks to the landlords, Aviva kindly um, offered us a absolutely free of charge place. <clears throat> so we had that for six months. Um, it was a great success. Um, a lot of people that were coming were happy living with, you know, at least basics it's like. Uh, toiletries, uh, some clothes, some shoes, uh, anything. Um, we had a lot of kids, even had some toys for the kids. Uh, also, we had a psychologist working in uh, full time with us as well. Um, we had some information corner there as well. Uh, within about probably around four to five months, we managed to spread kind of a franchise of Palanitsa around the country. And we end up with seven locations around the country. And it happened, as I mentioned, just like around five months time, which it was really, really fast growing. And uh, again, the same thing, every Palanitsa was giving away 
free stock for the newly arrived Ukrainians? Well, um, Auri, the Association of the Ukrainians in Republic of Ireland, uh, at the time when the war started, and I think now as well, at the moment, uh, was the only uh, Ukrainian registered charity. So we uh, we had the chance to, um, to to collect the donations. We uh, we had the chance to do such a work, and everything was absolutely legitimate, and everything uh, was the way by the law and regulations. So at the time, um, Auri had uh, two projects. Um, the first project was called Medical Help Ukraine. Uh, the 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 bunch of Ukrainian doctors uh, gathered together and they uh, they did a collection. I think at the time they collected around 800,000 euros. Um, they were buying a lot of medical stuff. Uh, I think they purchased in around 19 ambulances and one armored ambulance and everything was sent to Ukraine as well as the CT scanners and lots of more of different medical supplies. And as well, Palanita was under the umbrella of Auri. Um, we were having a rough calculation uh, by the 20, end of 2022, uh, monetary and not monetary, including seven Palanitas, all of the donations that were given away to the Ukrainians and sent to Ukraine. Uh, we were calculating was just under 20 millions worth of help was done by the end of 2022. Uh, so what I can say about Auri is just uh, I'm not sure if people knows or not, but it's actually it's done a lot for Ukraine and it keeps doing a lot for Ukraine. And uh, at the moment, um, we already signed the contract and the lease uh, for the premises in Tala, uh, which is a five and a half thousand square meters unit. It used to be a market dispenser there with a proper loading base. And this is one of the biggest, uh, probably, uh, depots for the Ukrainian aid in Ireland. Um, we are we just about to sign the the agreement with uh, HSC. We're already working with them directly. HSC is donating all of the decommissioned equipment and sometimes even the new items as well. And it's all uh, sent to Ukraine. And all of this is not just the hourly, it's 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 basically a bunch of people, a bunch of different companies, um, including yourselves guys, you know, the United for Changes, the, the they were kind of a bridge in between the Google and the Auri that managed to organize the you know the the trucks paid to Ukraine to Ukraine um, thanks to Google as well, they're paying for the shipments. Um we deal with different companies, like even Companies like Van Body, for example, uh, Jim, he somehow knows the friends that work in Meta Hospital and he so far supplied us with, I don't know, probably 100 mattresses already been sent to Ukraine. Um, also, uh, the Mishnok, uh, Andy Kenny, and the uh, Volodya Bili, that's how they call it. Um, they are just agreed with a nice uh, agreement with the uh, with the gym uh, that's supplying with the equipment, um, decommissioned equipment as well. So the equipment from gym is uh, going to Ukraine and it will be supplied to the rehabilitation centers. Uh, the gym name is West, Westwood uh, Gym. Uh, 
different different individuals even some you know some people like Liam for example I don't know what he does I don't know what he's doing but so far I will be organizing the third 40 foot truck that's 26 pallets in each truck uh, will be gone to uh, Ukraine uh, in the middle of August as well uh, and so many more uh, different donors that are willing to help um, but the main supplier for us now is HSC Island uh, they are giving quite a lot as well Elizaveta, could you tell us about your humanitarian aid work? I've been living in Ireland for the past 10 years and it's been a hard journey for a year and a half of volunteering in this country. Uh, so yeah, like pretty much most of the volunteers in Ireland, we do a lot of stuff, a lot of ongoing projects in different direction, but most of them are directed towards getting as much help as we can to Ukraine because as much as we want to help Ukrainians here in Ireland, they are well looked after, while we know that the main challenges and the main problems are in Ukraine and the main help that is needed is there. So we pretty much are trying to get everything we can to there. There are obviously things that we prioritize when we can. So Ireland is really, really good in medicine. So whenever we get the chance to collaborate with any medical uh, institutions, we obviously try to get as much as we can help there. Ireland is a neutral country, so it's hard to get any military help here, but we still do a lot of private campaigns. By we, I mean a lot of single people here on Ireland that took upon them you know, challenges to collect money, to do little uh, events that collecting money, to look in every possible way that they have to get the help that is needed. Because most of us have our friends on the battlefield. Most of us have our relatives on a battlefield. Well, mine too, unfortunately, have already died. So I am doing my journey into helping the others who are still there and still standing. Priorities of fundraising. It's hard to say because we are limited on what we are able to do. As a single person who is not famous, who is not, doesn't have any, I don't know, popular skills that would bring me a lot of views and bring a lot of money, I can do only that much. So the past year I've been concentrating on collecting money for some single requests for drones, for some single requests for medical help, and that's mostly it. And then we were trying to uh, find the right place for all the things that Irish people were offering. So when we, uh, me and my friends made a campaign of asking about uh, uh, repairing equipment, pretty much anything that you can use to repair houses, we got really, really good donations that helped a lot of people in some destroyed villages around Kherson and around Ukraine. When uh, Irish people got asked for uh, ambulances for pretty much anything medical medical related and really often we find ourselves in the places when Irish people offer something and you have to find the right place in Ukraine to bring it to. So there's a lot going on. It's really hard to say 
what I'm doing because I feel like I'm a part, like a small part of really huge uh, movement that is not functioning separately. That we are like none of us on. It's a small island. There's only like five million people here and we all know each other and our strength is in being united pretty much so when we have a request the best thing is to share it with others and that's how we find things when we have questions the best thing is to you know work together who has the possibility to transport things, who has the possibility to find the right place for this request, who has the possibility to assemble money and who can help us to do campaign together to assemble money. So it, it's hard to say. I've been doing, my last campaigns have been about the drones, yes. Maxim, could you tell us about your volunteering work in Ukraine, please? Good afternoon, Pablo. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, first of all, I want to introduce myself. My name is uh, Max. Uh, before the full-scale invasion, Uh, I was uh, a member of the board of the Green Students League, and I'm also a part of the Kinstellar team. This is a law company. Uh, so before the February 24, uh, 2022, the main mission of uh, our organization, Ukraine Students League, uh, which is the largest student organization in Ukraine, was to develop a culture of students and youth life to create changes in Ukrainian society by creating an, an ecosystem of Uh, YAS environment in Ukraine for the development, coordination, as well as representation of the interests of students all over the Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainian Students League unites more than uh, 60 of the most respected universities of Ukraine and more than 20 YAS NGOs. However, after the full-scale invasion started, uh, our organization started to supply humanitarian goods to eternally displaced persons, hospitals, and the armed forces of Ukraine. Our organization uh, has uh, warehouses and a logistic network for delivering humanitarian goods from abroad and from the Ukrainian donors uh, to hard uh, to reach areas and the areas of uh, hostilities. In addition, uh, we provide shelters for uh, free accommodation for eternally displaced persons who have been forced to leave their homes uh, due to Russia's uh, war against Ukraine. Uh, so, as I previously mentioned, uh, our team consists of Yes, people of students, and uh, we uh, have opened and managed the six shelters in the Dnipro city. This is one of the biggest cities uh, in Ukraine, but uh, which uh, locates very close to the front line. I mean, uh, 150 kilometers away from the very front line. Uh, and more than 300 eternally displaced persons can accommodate uh, in our shelters. Uh, we also Uh, built the most modern center, not only for short-term living, but for long-term accommodation uh, of eternally displaced persons in Ukraine. Uh, the center can accommodate up to uh, 56 uh, IDPS, and this is the families with uh, small children. Uh, we started uh, a lot of fundraised ca campaigns, and uh, we succeeded. So we fundraised uh, more than $300,000 and uh, we uh, do this, like do these buildings, uh, processes and uh, provide IDPS with their uh, comfort uh, living conditions. Uh, 
Uh, we have also successfully organized uh, six charity festivals in Lviv, in Dnipro, in Kyiv. Uh, and uh, the festivals feature performances by famous music musicians, uh, stand-up comedians, um, visitors can enjoy lectures there. Uh, also, there are available food courts, master classes, game zones, and uh, etc. And the money uh, raised at the, these festivals is used for the humanitarian needs of Ukrainians affected by war and uh, also for buying uh, vehicles for Ukrainian army. Uh, it's also important to mention that our organization has also transferred uh, 53 vehicles uh, to the army. Our charity organization also provides uh, systematic support to armed force. We've delivered more than uh, 60 tons of uh, supplies to the Ukrainian army at the very front line, including, for example, gasoline generators and stoves, body armor and uh, car pants, uh, military uniforms and tactical shoes, medicines and personal care products, and also provisions. We also support uh, hospitals not only for uh, soldiers but also for civilians. We have already donated more than uh, 50 tons of medicine and medical equipment uh, to such uh, hospitals. So we uh, also do this. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, our team mostly consists of students and uh, we also launched a campaign for blood donations. Uh, and in total, uh, 62 liters of blood were collected. This all, all the, uh, the blood uh, was uh, donated by their students who live uh, in Kiev, who live in Odessa, who live in uh, Dnipro. And uh, we show the society that you can do uh, good things not only by, uh, for example, buying something, but also you can do good things and save lives of our uh, heroes uh, by your own, like, by your own body, by donating your own blood. Uh, and this is uh, not all of our projects. Uh, you can uh, find more information about uh, all the projects implemented by the Ukrainian Students League uh, on our website. I will send you the link uh, or you can reach it uh, on our Facebook or Instagram page. But also I want to share with you uh, uh, our plans for the further work. First of all, uh, we understood that we succeed in building uh, uh, like smart flats, we call it smart flats for eternal displaced persons. And we spend uh, a very uh, small sum of money per every square meter. Uh, just for example, uh, we built uh, a really comfortable uh, comfortable places for living just for uh, $280 uh, per one square, uh, square meter. Uh, all their works included. I mean, uh, not only uh, building works, but also building materials, all the furniture, all their other equipment and uh, also technique. Uh, but uh, for example, if we can make an, uh, like a an market analysis, uh, their average uh, the, the average uh, money that spends for the same works is around $500. So we like uh, show uh, their all the all the society like an example how we can build uh, fastly, effectively, and really cheap. 
uh, and uh, we would be really happy if uh, for example uh, some uh, some of uh, people abroad for, for example some uh, british people some irish people can join our fundraise campaign and can help us and support us uh, to in in the field of providing the uh, living places for eternally displaced persons it's uh, really important because it's hard to imagine uh, how just to how to just leave your own house which were then destroyed and uh, this is very hard situation to understand for example when you lost everything lost everything that you collected for for uh, all your life and you have no place uh, to return back uh, and you need to restart your life so we help these people to restart their life uh, to uh, not only we, we supported them not only with the place to live but also with some uh, uh, but, but with a, a lot of uh, like free services I mean the uh, support employment support uh, psychological support uh, also uh, law support and something like that so uh, we want uh, to share uh, our activities abroad to share information about our activity and would be happy to cooperate with uh, as many people as it could be Now, let's move on to the updates from the front line. 17th July, according to the Institute for the Study of War, the July 17th attack on the carriage train bridge will likely have continuing ramification on Russian logistics in southern Ukraine. Russian authorities accused Ukrainian special service of conducting an unnamed surface vehicle strike against the carriage train bridge between Russia and occupied Crimea on the morning of July 17th. Footage of the aftermath show that one carriage straight bridge road span had collapsed and another span suffered damage but remains intact. Analysts note that Ukrainian troops continued counteroffensive operation in at least three areas of the front against the background of the intensification of Russian offensive operation along the border of the Kharkiv and Luhansk region on July 17th. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that Russian troops have launched active offensive operation and advanced in the Kupiansk region between northern eastern Kharkiv and northwestern Luhansk region over the past few days. 18th July, British analysts noted that during last week fighting continued in many areas of the front lines, while both sides achieved minor advances in various directions. In particular, in northeast, Russian troops tried to advance westwards through the forest near Kreminna. At the same time, Ukraine continues to make significant efforts around Bakhmut, which is held by Russia. Analysts point out that the Russian forces here are probably unstable, but for now they are holding on. Around Avdivka in Donetsk region, Russian troops continue to attempt local assaults, but without much success. Ukrainian General Sirsky explained why quick results in the offensive are practically impossible. According to the commander of the ground forces of Ukrainian armed forces in the east and south of Ukraine, the territory is full of mines and defensive barriers, and the Russians have many strong points. Therefore, our advances is not as fast as we would like, General said. The defense forces of Ukraine have had some success in the 
Tavria direction during the day of 17 July, more than three enemy companies were killed or, or wounded. Source commanded of the operation and strategic group of troops Tavria Alexander Tarnivsky in the telegram. 19th July, the defense forces of Ukraine knocked out Russians from position near Orikhova Vasilivka in the direction of Bakhmut, said the spokesperson of the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine, Andriy Kovalev. The most recent ESW maps as of July 2023. Bakhmut direction, Ukrainian counteroffensive seen from at least five directions around Bakhmut. Zaporizhia direction, Ukrainian counteroffensive seen from at least three directions, including south from Orikhiv and south and northeast of Huliaipole. Now let's move to weekly news update. 18th of July, that night Russians launched six caliber missiles and 36 Shahed drones. Ukrainian air defense forces shut down all missiles and 31 drones. The European Court of Human Rights rejected all Russian claims against Ukraine, including the allegations that it was Ukraine who shut down the Malaysian Boeing MH17 that we mentioned in the last episode. Ukrainian passport ranked 30 in the international passport ranking by Handley and Partners, moving four positions up from the last year. Ukrainian passport holders can visit 146 countries without visa. July 19th, on the night from 18th to 19th of July, Russians launched the largest missile attack on Odessa. Russian ships fired 12 calibers at the city. All of them were shut down. Russian aviation struck with X-59 and X-22 missiles. One downed X-59 missile fell in a residential area. Several buildings were damaged. Three civilians were injured. The enemy hit grain and oil terminals with Onyx and X-22 missiles, damaging tanks and equipment. In Odessa, there is a hit in an industrial object, two warehouses in different locations with tobacco and fireworks. There is a fire on 3,000 square meters. There is an injured person. Eight Shahed-136 drones were also shut down in the sky. Objects in the coastal zone of the Koblif area were damaged as a result of falling debris. Two civilians were injured. In addition, as a result of combat work to destroy missiles and drones, several apartment buildings were damaged by the blast wave. At least six Odessa residents were injured. Russian rockets destroyed 60,000 tons of grain in the port of Chernomorsk. This was announced by the Minister of Agrarian Policy, Solsky. This grain was meant to be shipped to China. 100 tons of peas and 20 tons of barley were also destroyed. On July 20th, the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine has reported on the introduction of almost 300 NATO standards in the defense forces. On the 21st of July, the inspection of the United States in the line of material and technical assistance certified the absence of claims on the part of the American side to Ukraine's accounting of weapons and military equipment. Deputy Minister of Defense Volodymyr Gavrilov announced this while commenting on media reports on alleged theft of Western weapons. A French citizen accidentally swam to Ukraine during his kayak trip. He surprised himself and the border guards. A French citizen made a 51-day trip by kayak. He lost his bearings and accidentally swam to the waters of the port of Rainy in Ukraine. This surprised both him 
and the border guards. On the 22nd of July, according to CNN, the Defense Intelligence Agency has no reason to doubt Russian President Vladimir Putin's claim that Russia has moved a first batch of tactical nuclear weapons to Belarus, senior DIA official said on Friday. Putin said last month at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum that the first Russian nuclear warheads were delivered to the territory of Belarus, adding that they were placed there for deterrence. On the 23rd of July, at night, Russia fired 19 missiles of various types over Odessa. The air defense forces managed to shut down nine aerial targets. Russians used caliber Onyx 622, Iskander K and Iskander M. 22 people were injured, including three children, and one was killed. The famous Transfiguration Cathedral was severely damaged. The Transfiguration Cathedral was originally built in the early 1800s to be the main church in southern areas of Ukraine, conquered by the Russian Empire. The original cathedral was de demolished in 1936 under Soviet leader Yosef Stalin, but was rebuilt between 1999 and 2003 under independent Ukraine. The Italian embassy stated that the country is ready to participate in the reconstruction of the Transfiguration Cathedral and other historical buildings. As a result of the Russian attack on July 23rd in Odessa, according to preliminary information, 61 buildings and 146 apartments in them were damaged, the city council reported. Currently, community workers are helping Odessa residents to clear rubble, clear roads and yards. Previous attacks have damaged original ports and grain silos, but Sunday strike severely affected Odessa's historic town, which was designated a World Heritage Site by UNESCO in January. On the 24th of July, around 4 a.m., Russians attacked Odessa ports again, destroying a warehouse with grain and injuring four port employees. It's been a very difficult week for people in Odessa and Odessa region. Pablo and I, we are from Odessa and of course our hearts are with our friends and families and all people who live in Odessa. And that's why on our table we have this wonderful book, Awesome Odessa. Now let's move into the week of the history of Ukraine. 21st July 1906, a famous Ukrainian poet and activist Olena Teliha was born. The poetic heritage of Olena Teliha is quantitatively small, only 38 poems are known, but in terms of content it has unparalleled value. Her unique voice sounded in the poetry, a feature inherent in her work which literally critics define as passionateness of love and lyrics. Her poetry exhibits some features of the classicism that became popular in the 1930s. Little known outside of Ukraine, Deliha was a poet, a newspaper editor, and a fighter for Ukrainian independence, who is widely admired in Ukraine. Killed by Germans, she became an icon for Ukrainian people searching for national heroes during time of full-scale invasion. Arrest and death is practically fascinating and tragic. In the 1940s, Teliha did not take into account decrees of Nazis' authorities. She ignored the instruction of the Nazis. In 1942, the arrest of Ukrainian nationalists began, but Teliha categorically refused and concentrated all her work 
in the Union of Ukrainian Writers. In a private conversation, she stubbornly emphasized, I will not leave Kyiv for emigration again. I cannot. She knew what she was going for. She was not going to run away. On the February 9th, friend warned that the Gestapo was preparing an ambush in the premises of the Union, and they advised her not to go there. But Teliga said, People are waiting for me. I cannot avoid coming because I am afraid of arrest. In the end, they will also be arrested. When I don't come back, don't forget about me. When I die, know that I have fulfilled my duty to the end. She and her husband were shot at a place known to whole world, Babanyar, the site where Kiev Jews were executed by Nazis in September 1941, to be followed by representatives of other nations and groups, including Ukrainian nationalists. In 1992, Teliha poems were published for the first time in Ukraine. And in 2017, a remarkable monument of this amazing woman was erected in Babanyar. Now let's move to word of the week. Bisagi, a traditional Ukrainian bag that was used by people in western Ukraine to carry goods and food. The word Bisagi comes from the Latin Bisatium, literally a double bag. It is believed that it entered the Ukrainian language under the influence of Lakhs or Moldovans, who also used this name. In the Hutsul region, Bisagis were woven in high mountain villages. In appearance, they were black and white or yellow, black and white. They consisted of two sections, Bisagis. In ancient times, every household had such a double bag. In ancient times, they were carried to, to the church in Bisagis, on Easter to celebrate the great Passover. At that time, Paskas, Ukrainian traditional Easter pastry, were baked so large that sometimes the edges of the bisagi had to be torn apart so that it would fit. Vegetables, fruits and various sale were carried to the market in bisagi. That's it for today. In the next episode, we will cover Black Sea Grain Initiative, the initiative on the safe transportation of grain and foodstuff from Ukrainian ports, how it helped to mitigate world food crisis, and how Russia's aggressive war and illegal actions undermines all these efforts. Please don't forget to like and comment on this episode of the podcast. We would also appreciate it if you subscribe to our channel and share the link to this podcast with your friends. Thank you for being with us today and see you next week. Actually, hear you next week. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to heroes.